0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a podcast by Nation's Restaurant News. I am your host, Holly Petrie here with the latest episode. Now this week, Brett Thorne spoke with Mark Rosati, the culinary director of Shake Shack, about the history of the brand. And Mark's been there since almost the beginning, so he has a lot of really good insights into how they've been Cooking since they started, and their menu innovation, and the way that they went about it, including their newest partnerships with Pinky Cole of Slutty Vegan, and how they sort of innovated the way that they made their burger. It took a lot of hints from Fine Dining, which is where Mark's background was, and how Mark was a little worried that his friends in Fine Dining weren't going to like that he was flipping burgers, but I think it turned out alright for him. Uh, You're gonna hear some really interesting commentary on how Shake Shack went from one unit in Madison Square Park in New York City to 300 units. And it's a great conversation. I highly recommend sticking around. But before I turn it over to them, I do have a word from our sponsor. Belgioloso Cheese is a family owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking, using only natural ingredients and fresh local Wisconsin milk master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Bel award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. Bel every cheese is a specialty. And now, here are Brett and Mark Rosati, culinary director of Shack.
1: Uh, but Mark Rosati, thanks a lot for joining me. You are the corporate chef of Shake Shack. Is that your title? Corporate chef? A culinary, of- culinary director. Culinary director. Excellent. Yes. And you've been there for a while now. Wow, yeah. When I think about it, I think
2: almost 14 years. I think another month or two will be 14 years at Shake Shack.
1: So were you the first culinary director at Shake Shack, the owner? I I, I was, I was. Um, I joined
2: the company back in uh, 2007 uh, when there was still just one Shake Shack, the one in Madison Square Park. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I thought I destroyed my career because I had worked at one of our other restaurants owned by the same founder, Danny Meyer a uh, restaurant by name of Gramercy Tavern in New York City. Yeah, it's and, famous.
1: Uh, we, we know about <laughs> Gramercy Tavern. <laughs> I,
2: I was cooking, uh, I cooked in that kitchen for three years, actually. And, uh, you know, it was just such an amazing experience. And I knew it was time for me to move on and keep developing. Um, but I was kind of at a crossroads. I didn't know if I wanted to continue cooking. Or if I wanted to learn another skill, it's it's not just about the food for me. You know, I love the front of the house. I love how people pour wine. Like everything about the restaurant business inspires me. Uh, And I didn't want to leave Danny's company because he's just an incredible person. I learned so much through his company and amazing people that are attracted to work with him that I I wanted to stay. Um, And at the time, the only availability in all of our restaurants for a new role in management was Shake Shack. And, and I had been there. I loved the burgers, but I was like, I don't know. I feel like I've been, you know, I've been shaving truffles on dishes. Will my friends ever talk to me again? The restaurant industry for now cooking burgers. Um, and, I, and I actually did do a trail in Shake Shack. And uh, I was pretty blown away by this little 400 square foot shack that was pumping out such huge volume. But the cool thing was they were using the same techniques that we were using in our fine dining restaurants. And they were using the same ingredients. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to join the team and, and, and just, you know, maybe I'll hang out for a year, you know, learn some management, some part of the house skills, and then, and then keep growing. Um, and just never stop. You know, 14 years later, here we are. Uh, and through that role, I did want to learn management. But uh, my bosses just saw that my head was still in the food. Like on my break, I would, you know, maybe saute some onions on the griddle and try like doing a different style cheeseburger. And they were, they were encouraging me. Um, and and that was it. They they really saw that I had a passion for that, and then um, I was a uh, named the, the first culinary director of Shake Shack.
1: So uh, Shake Shack at first was like a, a hot dog stand, right, with with milkshakes and stuff.
2: It was. We we started out back in uh, two thousand and one before we actually opened the Shake Shack as it's known today, uh, the brick and mortar, and it was just hot dogs. We served hot dogs, uh, freshly made lemonade, um, and we did all the prep right across the street at our restaurant back in the day, uh, 11 Madison Park. Right. Uh, And and the fun thing about 11 Madison Park being just a wonderful restaurant, um, three-star Michelin, was there was no such thing as just buying ingredients and putting them together, you know, to find the perfect hot dog. We probably tasted 30 different ones. Um, When we we were were selling Rice Krispie Treats, but we weren't buying marshmallows; we were making marshmallows from scratch, just to melt them down to make these. It was it was mind blowing, but that was just how we were born, and uh, it's still very much part of our ethos today. But it was a hot dog cart. We served uh, New York style hot dogs, which had the sauerkraut and the tomato simmered onions, as well as the Chicago style, which the founder of the company, Danny, he's from the Midwest. Uh, he grew up in St. Louis, very close to Chicago, and he's had his fair share. And he's like, if I'm going to do this. I want to do something unexpected. Let me serve a hot dog that I love that speaks to my childhood. And so, uh, Sorry, go ahead. That, that was how it, it all started for us.
1: So the food was originally prepared across the street in 11 Madison Park. And cool. so that was kind of the first ghost kitchen or something. It hit Our away. Virtual, like <laughs> a totally different brand was being done out of this very fancy, very high-end restaurants, they were also, what, did they give you some corner to work in or something? How did How did that <laughs> kitchen have space for hot dogs and milkshakes and stuff?
2: We we were very fortunate to be working out of that kitchen. They actually had a separate kitchen upstairs. It was a private diner that had its own little kitchen, and they gave us that space initially. So there we were every day making those Rice crispy treats, preparing the Chicago-style hot dogs, and then we'd fill up the cart, roll it across the street. And that's how we did it. And the funny thing was when we actually opened the Shake Shack, as we know today, with the hamburgers and milkshakes, we were still doing the prep in that kitchen. But this time, instead of just making lemonade, we were grinding beef, making our shack sauce, making our cheese sauce. It became a, a very big undertaking. Uh, but to your point, I think that might have been kind of a ghost kitchen start for us in a way. Yeah.
1: Running that stuff across the street. And, yeah. and, the, and the lines at the time were, were stupid. Like people were standing in line for an hour and a half to get a hamburger and it's a good hamburger, but I'm not, I'm never going to stand in line for a hamburger. Just so you know, maybe, (laughs) maybe 20 minutes. I'll I'll give you 20. Although before we were all working from home, our office was across the street from a Shake Shack. And then I would just pull up my app and go, boop, 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 and walk across the street and pick up my, my food. Technology
2: was, is wonderful. It's,
1: it's wonderful. Well, and, and you guys early on had the shack cam uh, so people could actually see how long the line was at the original Shake Shack.
2: For us, it was, it was all so unintentional. Like, you know, um, when we opened Shake Shack, the, we just wanted to open a place that was a real community gathering place for that park. Now, going back to the 2000s, early 2000s, Madison Square Park was not a nice park. It was pretty, pretty beat up. And uh, we felt sad because Danny had opened uh, 11 Madison Park and another restaurant across, uh, across from the park called Tabla. Mm-hmm. Um, and he felt sad that he was serving this excellent food with great hospitality. But, but the view from the restaurant was this dilapidated park. And he just thought that was an opportunity. So he joined a conservancy fund to help revitalize it. And part of it was giving people a reason to rediscover the park. So they wanted to have more art in the park and they wanted to have food and they asked Danny if he'd be willing to uh, curate a hot dog cart. And that's how it all started. But um, for us, it was so unexpected to be sitting here today. We have uh, over 300 locations around the world. It was so unintentional, but for us, it was just create a great community gathering place to have the people come together over really fresh, high quality, delicious food. And that's it good hospitality and the magic should happen within that.
1: And now I understand you've, you've left town. You're on the West Coast now.
2: That's correct. That's correct. Um, I was able to move to Los Angeles um, about eight or nine months ago. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that we've learned through COVID is that we can, we can work remotely. And, you know, uh, we did not stop, skip a beat. You know, R&D became a little more of a challenge with us all being separate. But even within New York, when this all started, we were all working from home to begin with. And we had to become uh, nimble. Um, and and we just have so much growth happening on the West Coast. We had just actually opened uh, two Shake Shacks in Los Angeles, one in uh, Santa Monica and one in uh, the Bunker Hill area of downtown. Um, and, And for us, there's so much more to come on the West Coast. We're not as well known as the East Coast, so it was a big opportunity to come out here and help tell the story of Shake Shack, help grow it. And also, we have a lot of growth happening in Asia, too, so I'm just that much more closer to going over there, too, so... Gives me a little more time at home before I have to travel.
1: When, and from what I understand, a lot of big national trends. New York is a trendy city, but if something's mm-hmm. really gonna catch hold across the country, it often starts in Southern California. So, and and even though people think of of Los Angeles as sort of a, you know, a healthy, chewy, vegetable forward city, it's also a fantastic hamburger city. So, yes. and, and not just in and out, but there's just a lot of really good, cheap food in uh, in Los Angeles. So, have you been having a good time exploring? I mean, I guess you can't go out much because you know there are still restrictions. But
2: yes, yes, and uh, whenever I can, I try to uh, uh, see some new food, check out some new places. Like the neighborhood I live in alone, um, just has so much happening. There's incredible um, uh, Thai food. There's incredible. Mexican food. We have a big Armenian population, the neighborhood I live in, too. So I've been going down that rabbit hole and checking all these different Armenian restaurants, understanding what their food's all about. But there is so much diversity, as diverse as New York, um, different, different way people think about food, different way that the food blends together. And uh, for me, it's very exciting. And our culinary team, our core culinary team is still in New York City. So we, we keep exchanging ideas back and forth, and if anything, I think it's helped our creativity because New York is in a very interesting place right now, too. That dining scene is changing and evolving, again, working through COVID, and um, you know just in the spirit of people figuring out new ways to operate their restaurants, serving different food than they would normally, and having people just rave about it. Again, there's so much creativity happening that... For me to kind of report what I'm seeing here, and then report what they're seeing over there. In the middle, we're kind of getting these new ideas being born out of it.
1: So, how has the R and D process changed during COVID? I guess you guys would you guys meet in your like fancy what's that neighborhood south southwest village soho west where where you're sort of uh,
2: the west village ish area they call it hudson hudson i think hudson they call it that neighborhood
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's technically it's 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 south of houston but it's not soho because it's too far west i think it is hudson square yeah something like that uh so i imagine you guys used to like all group together there and and chop things up and cook things and fry them like how did is that what you guys did and how did that change once you couldn't do that anymore because there was a pandemic
2: well you 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 were able to come and see us when we christened Mm -hmm. our kitchen that was about maybe two two three years ago and and before that we never had a kitchen um we were easily exceeding maybe 150 200 locations and we never actually had a proper kitchen to create our food out of we would always muscle into the back of one of our busy shacks during lunch and try to find a little grill space without people yelling at us. What are you doing? You're cooking for people. Get out of here. But, but through that process and, and trying to be nimble, we were able to create a lot of our menu items. Um, our, our chicken shack was born out of the back of one of our restaurants where what we're doing there is we're uh, slow cooking, soothing our chicken in a, a buttermilk. And we did not have a immersion circulator. We did not have a combi oven. We All we had actually was a griddle and a pan and a thermometer. So we would try to heat the water up to a precise temperature, maybe add an ice cube or two if it got too hot. <laughs> you know, it was just totally ridiculous. But we were able to create a lot of food with that setup. So finally, we were able to find a location where we could open a proper test kitchen. But it was kind of a dream scenario. There were other spaces in the past, but the trifecta would be, a kitchen, a shack, and then our home office. So we were all connected because in the past, you know, if we were inspired by an idea in the moment and we called our team up in the office, you know, 30, 40 forty-minute subway ride later, they'd finally be there. Maybe the excitement kind of fizzes out and it's not right. quite the same. So to capture that excitement in the moment, now it's just a two minute walk down a flight of stairs. So that's something that we, we've just been very lucky. So the past uh, two years or so, we've had this kitchen. Um, the team has expanded. Um, the ideas have expanded and uh, all of the R and D, um, for the most part happens there, even for our international locations, Sometimes we'll fly, uh, across the seas, bring back ingredients, but then we try, try to develop these items in New York because we are a New York born brand and we want to have that sensibility, uh, in our food. So we were we were doing a lot of fun stuff. We had a, a big kitchen. We finally had the immersion circulator. We finally had the condi oven to play around with. We were finally like up to date with all this stuff. Um, and then nine eleven. I mean, uh, then uh, COVID happened. And unfortunately, uh, because of that, it did slow everything down to a complete halt. And uh, we, we went online, we were having uh, calls, uh, video calls left and right. Uh, but then again, we had to get nimble. so if we could get to a market or a store and just buy ingredients, our uh, home kitchens became the new test kitchens. And again, we would have video chats. We would talk about it. We would actually be showing each other like uh, uh, items we created and like kind of getting close to the camera so you can see like the details of it. And then it worked. It was working pretty well. But then when we were able to start shipping ingredients again, that's when mm-hmm. it started to kind of pick up space. I mean, I pick up pace and um, that, that, enabled us to, to try to get back to somewhat uh, of our creative uh, area that we were in, but it was still very difficult. Um, it wasn't until uh, we actually were able to fully start shipping ingredients where you know my colleague would make a sauce, ship it to me, and like vice versa, that it really started to kind of pick up again. And we actually were able to create some items uh, during, during the lockdown. Um, it wasn't easy, but uh, again, I feel like with the technology today and also being able to use uh, shipping services to kind of get stuff uh, all around the country in, in LA now, um, you know, it's not uncommon for me to wake up to like three packages outside of my door with uh, various samples, either from our, our vendors or from the culinary team for us to try. But uh, for us, it's just a matter of trying to, again, capture that, um, that spark of creativity and excitement and then translate it through a video chat and also say "agree" an and getting it like a day or two later and trying to keep that energy alive to speed up the process and also speed up the feedback so we can keep refining until it gets to a place where we feel we can taste our tea.
0: Hi, I'm back with a quick word from our sponsor, Belgioioso Cheese. Belgioioso Cheese is a family owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheese making. Using only natural ingredients and fresh local Wisconsin milk, Master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses, guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about BelGioioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American Grana, and Parmesan. At BelGioioso, every cheese is a specialty. And now, back to the podcast.
1: What do you do with all that packaging that comes to you? Because just as a food writer, I get sent all sorts of food and nonsense. And, like, I have all of these styrofoam containers because it was chilled. And, like, I don't want to throw it away because it's styrofoam. That's not nice. But, yeah. what I like, I can't just have uh, an apartment full of styrofoam. That's not <laughs> useful. So, do, like, do you have to, like, be on top of that and figure out how to break down all your, all your packaging that comes in? Or has that not been a problem for you?
2: There, there is a the occasional time where we'll get something that's maybe um, a really large item, where the package is just, would be hard for us to reuse. But if we can reuse them, we say, I actually have like six packages in my garage right now that I'm waiting to ship out the next like sample that on my end. Um, and also we'll have vendors say, can you send us like, uh, you know, your shack sauce?" So instead of calling up the manufacturer, I can easily pack it, put it in the box. I still have my ice packs I keep in the freezer from the last delivery and I we try to reuse it. So you might get a package from us. It might be beat up and maybe a little dirty, but that's just because we keep reusing the packages if we can.
1: That's great. I wish I had people I needed to ship like chilled product to because I have all these boxes and I don't, I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually have set up some of them as like sort of cubbies stacked on top of each other, and I I store t-shirts and stuff in there. It's yeah, you, know you could do. Sure.
2: You, you could be a hero, you could make some cookies or maybe something like that and just randomly ship them to friends. So no, yeah, I was thinking of you.
1: You <laughs> could, Mark. I, I did go to culinary school. I can bake a cookie. There you have go. An oven, even without I, I going- I would
2: love to receive a cookie.
1: <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I'll bake some cookies. And of course, those don't really need to be shipped in styrofoam, but maybe, maybe. thank you for that suggestion so you guys have been busy uh developing new items i was looking at what you guys have done just in since the beginning of the year and you started out with that korean inspired fried chicken sandwich and the uh Mm -hmm. and the gochujang fries i I never managed to have the sandwich but i had the fries those were great i ate those thank you I got those during the great American takeout and, uh, whenever that was, and I forgot to take a picture of the fries. I'd eaten them all. <laughs> and I, I got a burger. I think I got your, was the avocado burger available. Well, it's still available. So I've probably got that. Um, uh-huh. and I had to, you know, post a picture of a, a third of that cause I'd eaten the rest of it already. So, they were good. And then you, but you also did a black sugar vanilla shake. So tell yes. me, I've been asking the internet about black sugar and it's like, ai I don't, I don't get useful information. Really tell it. It's, it's a, it's a ingredient used in East Asia. Like yes. on and, t- tell me about this black sugar. We, we,
2: we were really uh, excited. We did, we did discover this, um, on trips, uh, all around Asia, because it's becoming very popular, especially in in, uh, South Korea and Seoul, we were seeing that they had a moment there on one of our trips where um, so many coffee shops, so many beverage uh, uh, little kiosks were selling their version. And what we saw a lot of people doing was rimming the inside of a glass with the black sugar syrup, and then adding milk. You could also add boba to that, and it was just super delicious. And we saw it everywhere, so we had to try, and we kind of fell in love with it right away. What we noticed is they're almost like a, a bit of a molasses like flavor to it, and that's one of those ingredients that on its own, like I would never reach for molasses and like say drizzle that on my ice cream or use that to garnish something. But in that way of trying it, it really just kind of spoke to us, and so we brought it back and uh, we had our team try. We didn't tell them what it was. So what do you guys think? we go, "Wow, this is really interesting. I, I kind of keep want to keep te- taking sips of this stuff." And for us, that's when that kind of magic happens when like. It's something that's interesting, it's exciting, but again, you can't keep it placed on the table. You have to keep picking it up and going either for another bite or for another sip. And I think there's a touch of bitterness to that too. And again, for us, if, if we add sugar on sugar, it's gonna be too cloying. If there's an ingredient that adds this unique depth of flavor, but it's balancing out, bringing in like sour, um, salty or something like that, just to be a little more interesting, then it's really exciting. And that, that black sugar syrup has that. So again, when I try, it, I really start to think more about notes of, of molasses, which again, I would not have on its own, but having tried it and seeing the power of it and what it can do, that's where the inspiration came to, uh, to actually add that to our menu for a limited time
1: so So, what exactly is black sugar? Is it like a burnt caramel or what 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 is it
2: in a way, I would say it is, and that's how it's been explained to me is that's more like a a burnt like robust sugar
1: okay you just you just cooked the heck out of it and then you you guys did a valentine's day berries to men milkshake special a concrete special i guess you call them concretes those are those are our milkshakes actually um
2: and uh that was really really fun for us again too and just finding ways of being uh creative fun and unexpected during these times and the idea is, uh, you know, of course, Valentine's Day is notorious for being a date where all restaurants are very busy. People like to go out and have a really nice experience. But if you can't go out, is there a way of bringing an experience to you through delivery uh, and partnering with boys to men? It uh, was just a lot of fun for us. And, you know, we, we made a package. If you were able to order it, you got uh, a little scented strawberry scented candle. You got some like little... Uh, uh, cloth like little rose petals and uh, we just wanted to have fun with it too and you could download songs from boys to men and you could order your shake and enjoy it but that was just a kind of a fun way of celebrating even though we couldn't really celebrate in the traditional way that we may have done in the past
1: well and that's a great way also i think to convince people that you don't have to go out on valentine's day which is actually the stupidest day to go to a restaurant like why the restaurants are packed nobody's in a good mood because you know it's <laughs> it's what i've heard some people in the in- industry call call amateur night like this is when people who don't know how to act in restaurants go to restaurants and the restaurants are packed and and, and even this year from what i understand business was great on valentine's day uh, in in a lot of restaurants but you still have these people who you know don't know how to behave because they don't go out very often and they go out this one time and it's a mm-hmm. super fraught important day because if the restaurant messes up your date that's not okay that is There's a, a lot riding date. on it there is for everything i'm sure many relationships end on, end on valentine's day <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're helping people and saying stay at home listen to some boys to mend, have a milkshake and it was a uh, yeah it was a, it was a strawberry and fudge shake it yep. was like,
2: oh, it was, so it was awesome. like our our kind of fun take on like a chocolate covered strawberry but in our own our own way of doing it
1: which is a very romantic valentine's day themed treat a total classic and you currently you guys have avocado on the menu right yes and this was actually born out of
2: um uh, playing around with a few different uh veggie burgers that we uh, have in a couple locations And uh, we just keep going down that road and playing around with vegetables. We have our shroom burger, which has always been our mainstay veggie item, but this is a different style. You know, this is a different way we think about it too, where it's a little more lighter, uh, but we've always loved avocado. And actually our number one request from our fans has been avocado. So we're like, well, maybe the veg burger is a fun way of doing it. But as we were doing it and testing it on the veg burger, just, just the mechanics, we're using fresh avocados, we're getting them in. Uh, we're cutting them to order and and that does take a little time to kind of tease into our operations So to do it first at a few locations pick up best practices bring it out to a few more the veg burger um, And then all those locations that we were offering the veg burger It was kind of like a a secret, but you could ask for avocado on your burger. We would do it So it's a way for us to, just to build a confidence in how we can execute this at a high level And we felt it was at a point where we started putting avocado on our burgers and playing around saying, if we actually created an avocado forward item for our guests, what would that look and feel like? And uh, for us, we wanted to keep it simple. And uh, we decided to launch a burger that was a couple with our Nyman Ranch bacon. And Nyman Ranch have always been just really good friends of ours. We've supported them for such a long time. I mean, uh, a network of uh, 740 small farmers raising hogs really responsibly, just absolutely delicious. We love that. And bacon and avocado is so classic. So we wanted to keep it simple to focus on that kind of marriage of the avocado and bacon. So it's our cheeseburger, nine ranch bacon, uh, the freshly sliced avocado and our shack sauce, which is kind of like our, uh, our uh, culinary DNA sauce. And we, we can put it on a burger and make sense. We do it. It's just like who we are and what we're known for. It makes everything taste good. Um, but we didn't stop there. We said maybe we'll just put this on our chicken too and see what happens. So, we went and tried that too, and, and we did something very similar where it has the bacon avocado, but we're using our herb buttermilk mayo, which just really brings out the flavor of the chicken and works great with uh, the bacon and the avocado. So these are something that we're doing until, um, I want to say, the end of June, June 30th.
0: And again, yes. this
2: is just feels right for us this time to run something that's uh, very avocado-forward and make our guests happy because they've been asking for it.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys made that a permanent Offering to have <laughs> avocado and you can have it on anything for like a $1.49 extra, right? You can. that Yep. And for spring, you did a strawberry rhubarb shake. That's still on the menu, right?
2: Yep. Strawberry rhubarb. And we also did a uh, a chocolate pudding shake. Mm-hmm. And kind of, kind of reference, like just thinking about comfort. That's one of the places we like to go to uh, when it comes time for the spring. I mean, we think about pies. Again, strawberry rhubarb, such a classic combination. Um, also different chocolate-based pies, like with meringues. So we we have our own take on those. And again, to us, this feels like spring's coming. It's a good time to be thinking about comfort, thinking about the weather's getting nicer. And uh, we just felt that had some harmony with this time of the year for us.
1: So you used to be part of the fine dining chef community, and now you're part of the corporate R&D chef community. Uh, how, How are those communities similar and different?
2: You know, I think at the end of the day, there's, there's I would say, more similarities. Maybe how we go about our jobs could be different and what we're thinking about to do this. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of the people I meet on both sides of that, um, and I would actually say that's starting to blur within itself. I see a lot of fine dining people coming over, and also there's a lot of people that are starting off doing um, the fine casual food that have actually opened brick and mortar restaurants and expanded their concept. Um, I think, again, there's just that want and desire to make people happy and cook just really delicious food. Um, but the things I, I think are different from what I've seen and how, how we approach it is, um, I think the fine dining people are really focused on that one restaurant, that one plate. And to scale that, it's very, it's very sustainable to do. Um, you know, we, we have access to restaurant purveyors, uh, we can get ingredients and we can do enough to sustain one restaurant. But to do that, a level where you're going now up to a hundred restaurants, and you want that same dish to be able to scale like that, it becomes different. So, you know, when we were in the fine dining world, uh, if we found this one beautiful piece of uh, pork say, we're just mm-hmm. going to serve that until we run out of that, and then we're going to do a different dish. We we can do that. We can change up the menu. Uh, we don't have to lock it in for say three months or anything like that. So you can really get excited about that one dish, and if it's a little more complex. Um, or again, there's limited ingredients, that's okay. Because again, you can cook it for as long as you want to. When you get to doing it uh, at uh, more locations, even say five to 10, it does get a lot more complex. You have to think about the availability of ingredient. You have to think, uh, is it going to taste the same in location A as it does location C? And that's where, again, like, is it simple enough where you can ensure it is, is the recipe dialed into the point where you can give it to someone and without them having ever tasted the dish feel confident that they can execute it. So again, at the end of the day, I think we all want to cook food that makes people happy and excites them. But again, that dish we're cooking and how we think about it, I think that's where the differences start to come into play.
1: Although you guys at Shake Shack you do have some what I like to call extreme LTOs where it's available at one location for one day or two locations. Like you've been doing collaborations with independent chefs. I think the most recent maybe was uh, with Pinky Cole of Slutty Vegan, you had uh, yes. an item just at one location in New York City in Harlem, and one in Atlanta. What? Why do you do that? What's is, that, is there a point to that? It
2: is because we we are born out of a fine dining restaurant group, and um, you know as we get bigger, one of our big uh, sayings within our company is the bigger we get, the smaller we have to act. And you know while we put as much um, have fun and emphasis on creating our lto's that go national we also think there are these fun moments because the first shake shack was all about that community supporting that park and as we keep growing these shake shacks we don't look at them as as like you know store uh number 47 you know it's no that's that shake shack miami beach that was the third Shack we opened and like we know this team member we we designed it to look like this because of this architecture in miami and this menu is inspired by the neighborhood, like having a key lime milkshake felt right for Miami. It doesn't feel right so much for say New York, but there really is a connection in Miami. So we still try to hand build each one of these. Um, And there is a lot of time that we put into that. So for us, the fun is is doing something where the whole uh, nation can experience the food we're creating. But at the same time, if we can go back into one location or a region, And do something fun for say one day or maybe two weeks. That that's really exciting for us too and our fans. And um, you know, working with amazing uh, restaurateurs and chefs such as Pinky Cole and um, Chris Shepard down in Houston. Mm -hmm. You know, these are people. Yeah, these are people we admire, and you know, they're they're amazing in what they do, and for having to bring their thought process into Shake Shack. And work with our burgers or our chicken that's that's fun for us we're, we're food lovers we're, we're fans of these people so we're kind of like kids in candy stores like oh what are they going to create and then when we see it we get excited and we start to say okay let's do this 500 portions one day let's take the money let's give it to a local cherry that supports restaurant relief right now and if we can do some good and have fun that's what we're we're all about so we don't we don't do these often but when we do we want them to be really special and meaningful and again it's a way for us to kind of go back to our fine dining uh, heritage and kind of work with people that are still very much in that space.
1: And are your customers into it?
2: They are. They are. Uh, we, we've been very fortunate when we do these, that there's a lot of uh, people talking about on social media. And also we have lines when we open up that day, it's been very different uh, with COVID doing these, but again, like now we can have people order ahead on our app and we can see in the queue, we, we have a running count to make sure we don't sell more than we actually have. So it gets a little, little tricky to kind of keep track As people can walk up socially distance, order it. they can do it online on their app. Um, but for us, it's making sure that we can do this in a way that still feels fun and exciting. Um, and we've taken it a step further um, during this, this past couple of collabs. We'll, we'll do uh, note cards that talk about the shaft, talk about the item, talk about the charity, put that in the bag. And that's stuff we would usually say to the guests live, but can't do that right now. So it's how do we extend our hospitality when we can't personally be there to deliver it. And uh, the feedback we've gotten has been really, uh, really exciting. So we have a few more of these coming this year, um, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but again, just something fun that we like to do. And again, if we can do some good, that's even better.
1: So Mark, you said that you were worried that if you, if you left Grammar Gramercy Tavern and started selling hot dogs, that, that your chef friends would stop talking to you. Have they stopped talking to you? They have not. And, oh good! Uh, and it, it's
2: great to see people reach out and tell me about their experiences uh, all around the country. A lot of the the uh, chefs that I work with now have gone off, opening some of their own restaurants all around the country. And it's great when we open in a new city that uh, I'll every now and then get a uh, like you know a little note saying, "Hey, look, me and my family at the new Shake Shack. Congrats, man!" Uh, <laughs> it feels really good.
1: Yeah, from what I've seen, chefs are, are some of the least pretentious people when it comes to food. They want food that's delicious. They respect yeah. any, anybody who's working to to serve food, they, and they get into it. And, of course, you're not the first fine dining chef to, to move into a, a higher volume sphere. So you're, you're, you're really? part of many there
2: there's a network out there and i've had some friends that have done uh, something similar and it's fun because every now and then we'll get together and chat and again it's that kind of that same conversation where you know one of the hardest things for me to learn again i was focusing on this one dish in fine dining. you know i had a this is my fish dish you know i had to make sure i had it prepped i had to cook it every night and i had to make sure i wore the ingredients for the next day but it was my one dish at this one restaurant but then to scale that to say 100 restaurants and again, now we're working with different suppliers. We're, we're now, we have a trained department and you know, we have our operations team. Um, when in the past, if the if dish was created, just one person owned it from start to finish. So you didn't have to train someone else unless it was, you know, taking over the station. But um, it's fun to chat with friends that have gone, walked down similar paths because again, that, that learning curve from how to do one restaurant up to multiple it's, the fun, it's a fun experience of having to change the way you think about food and having to grow yourself and your skill set to be able to get to that level.
1: And instead of feeding 120 people, you're feeding 120,000 people or whatever. It might
2: be. <laughs> which is uh, which is very surreal for us, uh, but we consider it an honor. And uh, for us, I think what's very exciting is we see that Shake Shack, which we were very hesitant to even open a second one because we thought the magic of the first one was being in a park in New York City. But seeing that that the community within itself is what people really get excited about coming to us. And you know, while the culinary team, uh, all we do is think about the food, there are other people on our team that think about what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. It's all those elements that come together that give you something just more grander than the food alone. And that's something we're always keeping uh, top of mind. Food has to taste good, that's the basics. If you don't do that, you don't have a business. But you gotta go beyond that after after you get the food right. Like again, what does what the experience feel like of coming to that restaurant? And for me, I, I really am always uh, attuned to that when I travel and go to restaurants. I love, my favorite experience is to sit there and have that realization while I'm eating at a restaurant saying, you know what? I cannot have this experience anywhere else in the world but here in this moment. And I have to relish that. And I think that's what we try to do. How do we make those restaurants still bring that same experience even though we have many of them so that's what we think about all the time
1: wow no wonder you're you're keeping busy
0: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of extra Serving, a podcast by nation's restaurant news this week's episode was written and recorded by brett thorne our senior food and beverage editor and was produced by me holly Petrie. please be sure to check out our top 500, yes, 500 brands this year on our website next week. We hope to see you back next week for a little surprise. We may have a podcast earlier than Friday. You never know what to expect. So stay tuned and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next week.